Welcome to Healthy Churches ABNWT, a resource created by and for PAOC Alberta and Northwest Territories pastors and ministry leaders. The focus is on leadership development and congregational health. The goal is to help you reach more people. Visit abnwt.com for more information. Welcome to the ABNWT podcast. My name is Jeremiah Rabel, and we're talking to ABNWT leaders about their experiences and insights into ministry. Our goal is to help you reach more people. Today, we're talking with Stephen Williams. Stephen is the lead pastor of Maple Street Worship Center in Vegreville. He's also pursuing his master's in Pentecostal studies from Tyndale. He's originally from the Maritimes, so he is a wise man from the East. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Jeremiah. So, Stephen, as we talk a lot in the ABNWT district about revitalization, and, and when we talk about this, we, we mean that the church should be growing by conversion, by people coming to know Jesus Christ personally. So as we, we talk about this, one of, one of the pastors said to me, listen, this isn't about church growth. What you're talking about is, is getting back to our Pentecostal roots, you know, seeing people come to Jesus evangelism, this has always been at the core of who we are as Pentecostals. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it really comes down to who we are, our identity. And because really our beliefs, our theology, it really motivated our, our, our actions, our hands and our feet. Huh. And so what we believed really was uh, the, the motivation for our mission. When you think about the roots of, of Pentecostalism, most of us are familiar with the Azusa Street story back in Los Angeles. And of course, that was a very influential narrative. It, was, uh, it even bore influence here in Canada. And of course, if you read the early publication out of Azusa, those early Pentecostals saw themselves as a restoration of apostolic Christianity. It was really about getting back to Acts chapter 2 stuff. Really, the book of Acts is where they saw themselves. Yeah. They could identify with that. And so in the first edition of the apostolic faith, it was literate with healings, with prophecies, salvations, baptisms in the Holy Spirit, lots of supernatural things that God was doing. And of course, for, uh, for many, uh, Azusa Street was the beginning of it all, but that's really not been proven uh, as the case because there was other centers of Pentecostal outpourings that either predated Azusa or was closely happening at that time in different places in the world. But Azusa was a major story, and of course, we have our own Canadian Azusa story right. with the Hebdens in Toronto, yeah. as of course has been told very well by Will Sluice. Yeah. But in terms of the roots of the movement, I think we can safely say that the consensus is that we emerged out of the mid to late 19th century uh, holiness movement. Yeah. And what the holiness movement really was, it was a reaction to what they saw as negative things happening in Methodism. It was a call back to being uh, followers of John Wesley. Of course, Wesley stressed the born-again experience. It wasn't just enough to be born into Christendom, but you had to be born again. Yeah. And so that was very important for Pentecostals. But also, Wesley stressed uh, a second blessing, uh, what he called a, a post-conversion crisis experience. And it was, uh, he, he titled it Entire Sanctification. It was where God did a deep work of cleansing and gave us the power to live victoriously over sin. So Wesley's theology was really important for Pentecostalism because that second blessing yeah. uh, eventually became known as a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that was popularized by a lady preacher by the name of Phoebe Palmer. But there was a second stream of holiness that was very important as well. It was known as the Keswick 
Higher Life Movement, and it was out of the UK. And for them, instead of considering the baptism in the Holy Spirit in terms of sanctification, as the Wesleyan Holiness folks did, the Keswick Movement articulated as an endowment for power for service. Huh. So it was distinct from conversion, just like Wesley. And, um, but for them, holiness was produced through Christ and the Holy Spirit, not through a crisis experience. So it wasn't through individual efforts. So when you think of people like D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, A.B. Simpson, that's where they would have fit was in, in that movement. Yeah. So at this point, we sort of have a theological foundation for uh, Pentecostal spirit baptism. So it wasn't really a giant leap, uh, at least for some like Charles Parham, to connect speaking in tongues as an evidence that one actually received it. Yeah. But there was another important contribution that they made because uh, before the late uh, 1700s, the expectations when it came to the end, uh, most of them held to a post-millennial view. So they were quite optimistic. In fact, even the Puritans and Jonathan Edwards held that view. But kind of like Jack Van Impey, who keeps a finger in his newspaper and one in, in his Bible, <laughs> there were people who saw in the French Revolution similarities of things that were taking place in the book of Revelation. Right. So scholars began to think, wow, well, maybe this is being fulfilled in our time. And so there was a real a large um, growing interest in biblical prophecy and lots of speculations and, of course, uh, the development of dispensational charts like the ones that used to scare me to death when I was a kid. <laughs> So in conjunction with all of that, the expectations began to change, and so they began to um, think that things were going to get worse before Jesus was come. And also in conjunction with that, many of them were anticipating that there would be a last day's outpouring of the Spirit. But that's not all of it. There was another little piece of the puzzle. And so with the second blessing in their mind and premillennial expectations, that when the Pentecostal outpourings did happen, they also embraced what was known as the latter rain. And that was uh, a work uh, by D. Wesley Milan. He published the work in 1910. It implied a dispensational view of history, and it taught that the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, was the former rain, and the outpouring of the Spirit at the turn of the 20th century was the latter rain. And he got his latter rain covenant eschatology out of Deuteronomy 11. And what he did was he applied the Old Testament passage prophetically to God's actions in the grand scheme of history, believing that just as the physical latter rain prepares the final crops for harvest, the spiritual latter rain ripens the spiritual crops. So what that meant was, in the final analysis of all things, that Christ was preparing for a great harvest of souls before his imminent and soon return. And Pentecostals thought that they were right at the very cusp of all of this happening. So for them, when you think of spirit baptism as an example, it served as two big ideas. Number one, it was a sign of the end, and it empowered them for mission. And if Jesus was coming soon, we get... have no time to waste. Wow, that's fascinating. So at the end of the day, these beliefs, you know, that the fact that spirit baptism was a sign of the end, the fact that it empowered people for mission... And the fact that they understood that Jesus or believed that Jesus was coming very soon, it could be tonight, it could be the next day, yeah. that because of that urgency, that all that converging together just created this powerful punch for evangelism. And not just evangelism at home, but evangelism around the world. In fact, uh, it was not long uh, for evangelists to be either sent out from the Toronto area, around Ontario, for missionaries to be to be sent from 
from that center, and as well as uh, from Azusa Street. There were evangelists that went up along the Pacific coast. They ended up down in Mexico, moving into Canada, and, of course, overseas as well. So, wow. yeah, Jesus is coming soon. We're empowered to go. The last day's harvest is, is uh, ready to be reaped. we got to get busy. So being filled with the Holy Spirit was super important to them, wasn't it? Absolutely. What Absolutely. Did it mean? Like, what, did it, what did that mean to them? Well, being filled with the Holy Spirit was uh, really important uh, for a number of reasons. And uh, one of the reasons was uh, they understood it as an endowment of power. And uh, so it was really power to to witness power, really for a lot of different things. And um, but really, it was to accomplish the global mission of proclaiming the message of Jesus. And uh, one of the excerpts from a, a, an early newsletter uh, said that by the grace of God, I'm enabled to preach the gospel every day, and through the power which has been imparted to me by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the result for which I long sought are taking place. Huh. So they definitely connected the power of the Holy Spirit with the preaching of the gospel. Wow. Another aspect was that they believed that it was an anointing of the Spirit for charismatic ministry. In fact, Ari McAllister in 1911 wrote uh, in the Good Report out of Ottawa, he writes this, he says, Jesus was not proving his divinity in these miracles and healings, but he was demonstrating man's privilege when in right relationship to God and filled with the Holy Spirit. He gave the promise before he went away, saying, The works I do, ye do also, and greater works than these shall ye do, because I go to the Father. So they understood uh, that being filled with the Holy Spirit gave them supernatural ability to do the same kind of works Jesus did. Wow. So what role does the Holy Spirit play in evangelism? Sure. I think a really good place to start uh, really is in the life of Jesus himself. Uh, we know from the Gospel of Luke, for instance, that the Holy Spirit played a significant role in Jesus' conception. The Holy Spirit uh, came upon Jesus, for example, in Luke 3, verse 22, at his baptism. And uh, we understand that that's an anointing that he received to carry out his messianic uh, and prophetic vocation. So this is an equipping for him to be able to accomplish what he was sent to do. And then, of course, we also discover that Jesus uh, is led by the Spirit, even into the wilderness. So we need to be led by the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, and he, but he also returned to Galilee, Luke reports, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we know that in Luke 4, he also goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, reads from Isaiah 61, and he begins to read the portion where it talks about how the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right, yeah. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's either three, maybe four times, don't have the text right in front of me, but the word proclaim is in there. So he understands that the anointing of the Spirit upon him was to proclaim good news. Right. And so we also see that that particular prophecy for Jesus served as the program. for. So in other words, everything that Jesus did from that point on we can trace back is that this is his springboard, so to speak. This is the springboard which launches Jesus' ministry. So Jesus' ministry was incredibly um, empowered of and directed by the Holy Spirit. And so we, we know that we, we see Jesus going into different uh, areas, different places. He's, he's, um, 
He's casting out evil spirits. He's healing people. He's preaching. He's saying, repent. Yeah. Uh, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He even locates healing as a sign that the kingdom of God has come. So healing and exorcisms. If I cast out demons by the, by the finger of right. God, yeah. Matthew reads in, by the spirit of God, yeah. then the kingdom has, has come upon you. And so Jesus is... Um, his proclamation ministry, his healing ministry, his exorcisms, all of those different things were really empowered by the Holy Spirit. And of course, we also know around Luke 9, Luke 10, where Jesus gives power and authority to his, his followers, his disciples, to go out and do similar things, and yeah. they're preaching and they're ministering. They come back and they're really wowed by the fact that demons were subject to, to us in, in your name. And of course, uh, we, we kind of fast forward a little bit when you come to Luke chapter 24, around verse 49 or so, we kind of, kind of say that maybe Jesus gives us the Luke and Great Commission. And in that commission, Jesus is basically saying to them, look guys, don't move a muscle. Wait, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And right. if you look at Luke and you trace his thoughts, power was always associated with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And so, of course, we know that the disciples listened. As good as they were, they listened. And, they, and of course, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we know that Jesus said to them, but you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And, you'll be, and you shall be, not just maybe, you shall be witnesses unto me, of course, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and of course, to the very ends of the, of the world. And yeah. we know that as you move along in the book of Acts, that here, you remember Peter being quite scared before but Peter, after the Spirit is poured out on them, he gets up and he, he proclaims the message, not because he spent 40 hours in the, in the study, but because the Spirit had inspired him to explain to all those amazed onlookers of what just had taken place. Huh. And so not only do we see uh, Peter proclaiming with great inspiration of the Spirit as the Spirit's leading him and giving the words that he needs to say to communicate accurately. But we also happen to notice that further on that um, there's also some pretty cool things happening with Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Yeah. Bible tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It tells us that in 6 verse 8 that he did great wonders and, and miracles. We also see Philip yeah. uh, in Acts chapter 8 where he preaches the gospel, the good news of the kingdom in Samaria. He did miracles. It was exorcism preached about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. And of course, they received the message there. Barnabas in Acts 11, he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He had a teaching ministry, performed signs and wonders. And of course, we noted already Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He heals a lame man in Acts chapter 3. Even his shadow... <laughs> seem to be doing some pretty cool things. Raising Dorcas from the dead. And Paul as well. Paul performing signs and wonders. Paul preaching. Paul healing a lame man. Paul imparting the spirit. And so I say all those th uh, things just to suggest that uh, when it came to Jesus fulfilling his mission and the early followers, the disciples, the apostles of Jesus fulfilling their mission, they could not accomplish it without the empowering and the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we think of being filled with the Spirit in terms of holiness or sanctification or living a right and moral life. 
Whereas, if you look at how Luke uses the term, in fact, Paul only uses it once, Luke uses the term nine times, all the way from his gospel and into his second volume. And really, as one of our Canadian scholars, Roger Stronstad, had pointed out in one of his great works, was that being filled with the Holy Spirit, that Luke is really drawing his, his term out of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so as he tracked that term and what it meant, it always had to do with a supernatural enablement given by the Holy Spirit. Most common, especially if you look at Luke, you'll note that uh, prophecy, or in other words, inspired speech. So it's kind of like when you get to that point and you really don't know what to say and you're praying, Holy Spirit, help me, I need the words that uh, when we're filled with the Spirit, God can give us the words. We see that in Elizabeth. We see that in Zechariah. Even Mary's song was an inspired song. Uh, So in John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, he was also full of the Holy Spirit, uh, fulfilled with the Holy Spirit uh, since his birth. And we also see that in in, uh, the book of Acts, where at times it would say that someone filled with the Holy Spirit said or spoke, and then we have what the Spirit had, had given them. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is really not just for us. It's really about others. It's really about, again, that charismatic, that spiritual charge, yeah. Holy Spirit charge, yeah. uh, power to, to do that which God has called us to do. And I believe that the church has a vocation. It's their, their job is to carry on, to continue what Jesus did, and, and that is to bring salvation uh, the kingdom of God to, to those who, who don't not yet know him. Stephen, thank you so much. I know there's a lot more that we could talk about on this topic, but I'm so thankful that you take time just to talk with us. We're going to go into the lightning round where we ask all of our guests the same three questions. And so, uh, Stephen, what book are you currently reading to help inform your ministry and learning? Well, Jeremiah, knowing I'm a bit of a student and trying to do some uh, finishing up my degree, one of the books, a couple of books actually that I just recently read was uh, Healing Through the Centuries by Ron Kidd. And uh, in that book, what I was discovering is that, uh, number one, healing has been going on through all the history of the church. And the other part is that God has been doing it in some uh, ways that maybe most of us wouldn't be comfortable with. But God is still God, and it's a hard job to put God into a box. Um, and one thing I, I learned was was that uh, even though God healed a lot of different people, uh, there was still some people that didn't get healed. And uh, so for me, um, there's a bit of a mystery to that, but I just still continue to lay hands and, and believe and see what God does. Very cool. Uh, another book that I have been also reading sort of in conjunction with that is uh, a book by Craig Keener titled Miracles. And in a similar way, he's just making a case to say that... Um, that just because of the different eyewitness accounts, the tens of millions, he would say, of, of miraculous things that are happening all around the world, help to give credibility toward the skeptics uh, to give uh, a, a good basis for, for trusting in the New Testament accounts. That's great. So how about technology? What piece of technology are you currently using that you're loving that's helping you out? In terms of software, I do use Logos, and, and uh, I'm, I'm just starting to learn to use Proclaim here at the church. It's been a long learning curve, but uh, I'm just start, starting to tap into that as well. Very cool. So what conference church or leader are you following right now for insights and ideas into your own ministry? Uh, I've got a subscription to Thomas Rayner's uh, podcast, uh, Unseminary. 
Yeah. Uh, I listen to some of Kerry Newoff. Um, there's a podcast out of Newfoundland called The Theologist, so it's a little more um, to do with uh, theology and so on. Uh, I've listened to some of the MCS Pentecasts, and of course, Jeremiah, I listen to your podcast regularly. <laughs> and folks, as always, you can share this with your team. We want to be your district resource center and help you reach more people in your community. There are 4.1 million souls in the ABNWT region, so let's get on mission and turn the spiritual tide of this region together. See you next time.